0: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Nutra champion Podcast. This episode is slightly special as we have with us the newly crowned Nutra champion from our Nutra ingredients Asia Awards held last month. Let's welcome Professor Emeritus Dr Khalid Abdul Khadil, the Professor of Medicine at Tan Sri Jeffrey Chia School of Medicine at Monash University, Malaysia. Prof Khalid is also the Endocrinology and Internal Medicine Specialist at Thomson Hospital at Damansara, Malaysia. In the past few decades, he has made significant contributions to the field of endocrinology, especially in the understanding of diabetes and the relationship between hormones and stresses. Welcome, Prof Khalid. Thank you for having me. Prof Khalid, perhaps we can start off by uh, you telling us your thoughts of winning this award.
1: Well, it was quite unexpected. I never knew there was such an award until I was uh, pushed to uh, bid for it, in a sense, be nominated for it. So it's a great honour to my team, my university and my colleagues and me.
0: Prof Khalid, tell us how did your journey of Researching diabetes, stress, and hormones started.
1: Well, um, I did a PhD in '79 in Melbourne, Australia, uh, and what we did was to look at the uh, effects of metabolic stress on the hormonal milieu. In other words, if one were to stress the body with, uh, say, um, too much Sugar too high, sugar or low sugar, or too much uh, uh, acids and so on. There will be uh, respondent changes in the body, which will be mediated by the hormones system. So there are multiple mechanisms by which the body can react to metabolic stress. So our uh, interest at that time was the discovery of endorphins and adrenocorticotropic hormones from the hypothalamus pituitary and how it controls the adrenal glands that produces the hormone cortisol. And in 79, 80, we looked at how these hormones worked in the body, whether it work on the uh, liver cells or on the uh, um, muscle cells and so on. Then we discovered the concept of specific receptors for these hormones such as adenocorticotrophic hormones from the brain, cells to produce through the cortex to cause uh, activation of these receptors, to then produce cortisol. Cortisol acts on uh, its own receptors in the body to produce uh, increased glucose, increased uh, blood pressure, and so on. We uh, uh, proceed on to look at uh, how diabetes as a metabolic stress can be uh, modified by hormones, or can be caused by hormones. So for example, if you have too much cortisol hormones from the adrenal gland, then you will get uh, too much uh, cortisol effects and you will become hypertensive, you can become a diabetic, a condition called Cushing's disease. And the features of the Cushing's disease are almost similar to those features found in people with metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is one in which the person is uh, overweight, centrally obese and has tendency to diabetes, high blood pressure, dyslipidemia, insulin resistance. So we were interested when we came back here to see what is the connection between metabolic syndrome and cortisol and how does cortisol, how, how can cortisol be the link for the development of metabolic syndrome and diabetes.
0: I see that's where the link between diabetes and hormones and stress comes together.
1: And it's to look at the enzymes that modify the steroid hormone. Enzymes, not the steroid hormone itself, but enzymes that modify the action of the steroid hormone. Because my big boss, then, Professor John Funder, and the person from Edinburgh, uh, Stewart found this enzyme called 11-beta-hydroxystyroide dehydrogenase, which is found in muscles, in liver, and in the uh, kidney. And it will modify the hormones that are produced by the gland, by the, the cortisol, make it even more active or less active. So having too much cortisol itself may cause disease, but the body has its own mechanisms to modify it to... Uh, Make sure that these high steroids do not cause uh, me- metabolic problems in the long term. So, uh, we spent some time looking at this enzyme and uh, uh, a compound found in Asamboy called glyceric acid. Uh, and glycerisic acid found in Asamboy or um, uh, licorice in the West uh, will. will modify modify the effects of these steroids. So we went along with the concept that maybe people with metabolic syndrome have a genetic defect, whereby this enzyme is different in the fat cells of these people, whereas it is uh, okay in the muscle cells or in the kidney or in the brain. And if that was so, then it will mimic the features of metabolic syndrome. So some uh, researchers have shown that if they were to remove this enzyme in nude mice, they can mimic uh, the features of metabolic syndrome in the mice. Uh, So we try to use this uh, glycylisic acid as a blocker of this enzyme and therefore a potential uh, way to modify metabolic syndrome uh, in humans. So that was the second phase of my work and we did a fair bit of work on that. But then we then realized that uh, there's another compound that can be important for stress. And that was introduced to me by my colleagues, Professor Wan Zurina in Mr. Malaya, who was working on vitamin E as an antioxidant and also perhaps as an anti-stress uh, effect hormone. So we then look at both uh, glycyrrhizic acid as well as vitamin E and compare them and have uh, rat models of metabolic stress, you know, hypothyroidism or or diabetes in rats. So from then on, I shifted my interest from glycyrrhizic acid because it was not getting me anywhere and after 20 years and uh, concentrated on the vitamin E and and we were very interested uh, and collaborated with colleagues in UKM on the various aspects of vitamin E in metabolic diseases, including osteoporosis, with uh, Professor Ima, and with uh, carcinogenesis, with Professor Wan, on our part, in terms of stress. If we have to stress the animal, we give varying loads of vitamin E, we could uh, negate some of the effects of stress. Then we decided if that's so, can vitamin E uh, affect the metabolic effects of diabetes and this was uh, introduced to me by a colleague uh, Dr. Wan uh, Nazayman and we then uh, uh, made wax diabetic again with Zortusian and gave these animals vitamin E before, during and after uh, making them diabetic and showed that it does protect the animal. At the same time we then have a small clinical trial where we gave Vitamin E derived from palm oil uh, with the help of Porim from Oil Research Institute and showed that in these few diabetics, I think it was 40 diabetics across our trial, we could negate some of the effects of uh, diabetes. So I then retired from UKF and went on to join Monash University and set up Monash University and we carried on the work of glyphosate acid in uh, experimental animals with Professor and Soha, and uh, uh, with uh, fellow colleagues uh, on vitamin E uh, in diabetes.
0: Wow, I see. Can you tell us more about the uh, research that has been done on vitamin E and diabetes? For so the last uh, 10
1: years or so, we have looked at vitamin E in uh, animals that were made diabetic, or animals that were made toxic, uh, or overfed and uh, found that uh, the vitamin E does protect uh, animals if they were given early enough in life from developing diabetes and the effects of diabetes. So we then proceed on from the lab to the, uh, on the bench to the clinical uh, human work and did, uh, basic clinical trials. And then we we'll phase two clinical trials. We gave uh, vitamin E from a call to COVID which is enriched with the procreino. Uh, two patients with long-standing diabetes, 10 years or more, who have got either eye disease or kidney disease or nerve disease and uh, monitor them objectively. In other words, for the eye, we would take retinal photographs and we would then uh, have a composite picture and magnify it 100 times and count the number of bleeds and scars uh, independently. For the uh, kidney, we would look at the urine excretion of proteins, uh, kidney function biologically, biochemically. And for nerve function, uh, we actually measured the sensory nerves as well as the motor nerves in these uh, patients. Same patient being done three times or assessed three ways, you know. And within two months, we could show that there was a fantastic protection against kidney damage uh, in those patients who were given uh, high doses of tocotronol rich, topocrinol rich vitamin E called topovate. And the same with the eyes, there was less bleeding in the retinal of the eyes. And uh, same with the uh, nerves, nerves in the hand, nerves in the leg, there was uh, improvement in the nerve conduction studies. So we were uh, um, very excited because these are patients with 10 years or more diabetes. And we uh, published those three. Then we went on and looked at uh, the effects over uh, three months and then six months. And then when we stopped the treatment, what happened? And we found that even six months after we stopped treatment, the protection for the kidney still lingers on. And we published that too. So now we are at the stage where we just completed another phase 2B study where we have a lot more patients uh, who have a more narrow uh, uh, range of diabetes control and who have got stage 3 kidney disease and, and definitely uh, nerve disease and showed that after 12 months we still have fantastic effects in terms of protection for the kidney for those diabetics who are in stage 3 disease or um, those who have got uh, diabetic nerve disease and now we are at the stage where because of the covid we had to stop seeing these patients uh, in February, March. And now we are allowed to review these patients. And the last four weeks we've been reviewing, not four weeks, three weeks. We've been reviewing these patients after six months uh, of no treatment. And lo and behold, we, we are very excited to show that the effects are still there. In other words, it's like your metabolic memory effects. And these effects are independent of the diabetes control, independent of the type of medication, independent of the levels of lipids, uh, or whether they're taking water-soluble vitamins. So uh, we hope that um, we can can continue this work and look at the molecular effects of vitamin-tocotronal-rich vitamin vitamin E on the nerve cells and on the patient's uh, by proteomics and metabolomics studies to see how does uh, this work because in the previous studies we look at uh, various biological markers like uh, antioxidant, antioxidant markers, anti-inflammatory markers and find none of those uh, uh, were altered by uh, vitamin D, uh, C-necosis factor alpha or uh, uh, beta receptor alpha or uh, interleukins uh, or uh, antioxidants, e-aminoline. The only thing that changed was for the nerve, where there was uh, improvement in the nerve growth factor, uh, and that coincides with or correlates with the improvement in the peripheral nerves of the diabetic. So it's one thing to uh, go and work in the animals, which we did initially, but we must translate it to clinical work, which we have done. But now when we find this. Effects we found that we couldn't explain it by uh, expected uh, changes in the metabolic in the metabolism or metabolites. So we have now to go back to the bench and see how does the vitamin E tocotrienol rich vitamin E affect these changes. Yeah. Wow.
0: (laughs) Okay.
1: So I can't stop working because I'm still excited.
0: When I, I can see the enthusiasm when you talk about, you know, the, the research that you are doing. Oh, so maybe can you share with us how is your uh, daily routine? Like how do you uh, divide your time between like research and also attending to patients?
1: Well, I am a clinical academic. In other words, I, I graduated from Monash. And during my, uh, during my medical school days, I got interested in research. So I did... I took one year off and did the Bachelor of Medical Science Honours Research Project on uh, immunity and uh, autoimmunity and that get me into the uh, line of clinical research. So when I finished my medical degree, I went on to become an endocrinologist and during my endocrinology training, I, I did a PhD with John Funder on the mechanisms of actions of steroid hormones and its effects in stress and that made me into the line of being a clinical academic. In other words, I have to practice as a clinician, as an endocrinologist, and teach my students and my trainees endocrinology and medicine. But at the same time, I have to continue doing my clinical research at the bench with my colleagues, the basic scientists, or in clinical trials, and, uh, and try and put what we learn in the bench into our clinical practice. So, to be able to do all this, uh, we have to continue to do research and divide our time with also looking after patients. And at the same time, we have to teach undergraduates, year three, year five, medical students. And at the same time, we have to train postgraduates who are doing PhDs with us and also those who are training to become endocrinologists. So this gives me fully occupied. How do I spread the time? Well, yeah. it's very, very important. I must advise the younger ones that number one, you should, you should get an academic research training if you want to be like me. There's no point in being a cardiologist or endocrinologist or neurologist. You should get a PhD on an MD. And many of my juniors, I send them overseas to get MD PhD. Then with this, they are equipped. To become a, a researcher and clinician. Secondly, they must uh, allocate time for research. In other words, I allocate equivalent of one and a half days a week uh, in, uh, for research. Monday morning, uh, Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning. So that is continuous. And the rest of the days would be for my clinical work, my teaching work. But then Uh, If you work eight days a week, eight days, sorry, a day, uh, you never fulfill all that. So we have to start very early, finish very late. And I was after we do our clinical work, have to go back to the lab or go back to the data and look at the data or meet the PhD students. It's continuous.
0: Wow, wow. I, I can see that it's, um, you're of the view that, you know, being a doctor is not enough. You must also be a researcher so that it can complement your clinical practice. Is yeah, that that's un-
1: the way it should be. Otherwise, we are stagnant. What we learned when I graduated in 73 is not relevant now. In 1973, 74, we were using lots of digoxin for a heart. Now we hardly use it. Yeah now we've got many types of medications for diabetes for high blood pressure which we did not know before
0: yeah. wow. and so we really- must always
1: be on on top to be yeah. do the best for our patients and yeah. if you want to teach our students and trainees you must yeah. teach them the latest and how to think uh, widely so that they can apply whatever information they have See through this information, see whether it is really correct or good inform, good uh, information, proven information that they can apply to the patient safely. Yeah,
0: wow. So, uh, on a typical day, uh, what time do you start your day and what time do you end your day? Typical,
1: oh, I uh, would tell you that. My wife would tell you that. I <laughs> work on Saturday too.
0: You work on Saturday? Oh, okay.
1: But we will have time. Whatever time we have, we, we, we have. Um, Quality time. Yeah. See, my wife is also uh, a researcher and, and a clinician, academic clinician. She's a professor of uh, medicine and ethology at University of Bangsan, Malaysia, just retired. so she does a lot of clinical work and research work and training. So, uh, yes, we don't see much of each other because of our work. But when we do see each other, it's quality time. Yeah. It's love again, you <laughs> know?
0: Yes. Less time
1: to quarrel. <laughs> You know, there are people like my brothers. They spend their free time fishing, mm-hmm.
0: fishing, right?
1: Another brother spends his free time uh, racing. Okay, uh, but I spend my free time researching.
0: So, during your free time, when you are not working, you are still on the computer, like doing some reading.
1: Not reading, but going through manuscripts and uh, doing some uh, literature reviews, and guiding them through the computer. Yes.
0: Why are you so passionate about this work? What keeps about you going? Work, yeah. What keeps you going?
1: Well, it's something I love to do. We do it because uh, we we are interested in it, and we try our best to get the 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 best results and the most relevant results. Yeah. Of the okay. highest standard.
0: What's the greatest satisfaction that you get from your work?
1: Well, uh, every now and then I will receive a card or email. From one of my former students saying, Prof. I'm now married, I've got a child, and send me a photo. Or recently say, Prof, I've now been accepted into the position training in Australia and I want to be like you. You know, these sort of things mean more to me yes. than giving me 100 ingots, huh? <laughs> okay. Okay. a hundred Okay. Yeah. And wherever I go, I'm told that whenever I see some people, I'm told that, oh, they were they, they were uh, treated or looked after by a doctor somewhere, wherever it is, Malaysia, Singapore, Australia, and they mentioned my name and they said, Oh, that was my chipu," And oh, that no. is my satisfaction.
0: Yeah, so it's um, uh, passing, on, passing on what you know to the next generation.
1: Well, our concept is this, uh, if you want to learn to fly, you should learn it from a pilot who's still flying.
0: Okay.
1: If True. you want to learn clinical medicine,
0: yeah. you
1: should learn it from someone like me who's still practicing. Correct? Yes. If yes. you want to, if, if what I do is to teach my patients, my students, sorry, and to the best of my ability, yeah, uh, they will probably absorb or get 80%, 90% of what I know. But that's not the idea. That's not the way it should be. I should teach and train them to think, to think, uh, uh, to think how to advance knowledge. If I teach someone to gain more knowledge and he gains 150% more than me,
0: fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he
1: then yeah. teaches someone else who takes, who learns, who gets, makes more information, more knowledge than him. So we propagate information, knowledge, progress the The system we were taught when I was a young student, teachers when we went to school, was uh, you will learn this, you will memorize this. That's not it. Yeah, because
0: yeah.
1: There's no thinking, you know. Yes.
0: But
1: yes. fortunately, I had teachers in schools who were, who who made us think outside the box. Yes. In university.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow. And I'm wondering uh, if there were times when you maybe encountered some challenges in your research work. Um, how did you overcome all those um, down moments? In
1: 2008, uh, I, w- I found that I had the stage four lymphoma, okay. um, which, okay. which was really bad. Right? Yeah. And I couldn't work. I, I was in ICU. I, I was awful six, nine months, uh, and I uh, had to have stem cell transplant, and it was all done at Banks and Malaysia by, by my former students who looked after me. And I survived, that's 10 years, 12 years now. Yeah. But during that moment, yes, uh, uh, I'm sure everyone would feel, hey, uh, what did I do wrong that, to deserve this? Uh, why not others? Why, why me? It's huh? always the case. But then uh, during that time when I was alone in the room, we can always reflect and say, well, you we shouldn't be thinking that way. We should say, what have I done to, to help others? And the best example was the doctors who looked after me, Professor Fradila uh, and her colleagues and the surgeons who operated on me. They are the fruits of what I, I had strived to be. So that inspired me to carry on. I see. I was down. I couldn't do any work. Yeah. But at that time, I, uh, I'm told my colleagues uh, kept on the good work. So when I went back to to work, they were still carrying on the work. The most inspiring thing I think would be that hey, I'm alive because my former students are so well trained. They are not by me, but as well elsewhere, and they kept me alive, and I'm now still alive.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, now I understand better why you are so passionate in your work. Even, even at this age when you are uh, actually in the 70s, a lot of people are already retired. Like what you say, like your brother, maybe they will go fishing or play chess or whatever. So how about like... Uh,
1: what do you mean? I'm only 72. I know uh, <laughs> okay. someone who is 96 and still active.
0: Oh yes, yeah.
1: So 72 is nothing. <laughs> okay.
0: Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So, actually, do you have um, any interesting hobbies that maybe you can share with us? Hobby. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, I, uh, I collect ducks. Okay. It's not in this office, okay. but I collect little ducks.
0: Yeah. Why? Wherever I go,
1: uh, overseas or locally, I look for ducks, and uh, uh usually a couple of ducks of that region and i'll write down there where it was what date and with whom so over the years i've had my ducks from all over the place all over the region the country the world that i visited uh, and i kept them in my office uh, in kuala lumpur uh, and also in my apartment i sleep with ducks soft ducks
0: oh okay that i have what? duck
1: ties and duck underwear oh,
0: wow. <laughs> You're really a fan of ducks. So and why I read why,
1: about ducks? You know, what kind of ducks, how why they migrate, how can they migrate? That's my little hobby. Little hobby. Oh,
0: okay. So uh, you have been fascinated with ducks since you were young?
1: No, only only perhaps uh, in the early 80s. Because you see, a duck can walk on road, on the on the ground, waddle on the ground. <laughs> and the duck can swim, and duck can dive, and the duck can fly, and the ducks uh, will migrate all the way, say, from Siberia to Australia, and then migrate back to where they're from. So I thought, that's a fantastic creature. I spent 14 years of my life in Australia, and I came back to my country, yeah? And if I can swim, I can fly, I can dive, uh, (laughs) like a duck, it's
0: fantastic. (laughs) Okay. Oh no wonder. Okay, I see. Moving forward, right? What advice or values, words of encouragement, will you give to your younger colleagues and students?
1: I uh, tell them that they, 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 if they are medical students, they are in the best profession to serve humankind, and uh, they should always uh, try to keep ahead of, uh, uh, to keep. Yeah, ahead of uh, available information, look for new information so that they can give the best to their patients. For example, I tell them if I had had my, my lymphoma 20 uh, years earlier, I wouldn't have survived. I wouldn't have survived. But I had it when I was 60 years old in, 19, in 2008, and there were new medicines available and we, we could harvest stem, stem cells from my bone marrow and put it back in me and I survived. That couldn't have been done before. So this is the miracle of modern science. So I told them they should always be looking forward to that. cannot say, oh, there's no more treatment for you. But those scientists, colleagues of mine who are scientists, I keep telling them that they are the ones who create information and knowledge to this world for whatever, for. Uh, electronics or information technology, create information about ecology or about uh, medications and ways to keep ourselves healthy and they should keep going. Everybody should, should applaud them and they shouldn't look at uh, perhaps the bankers or the accountants or who are le- earning loads of money uh, and yet they are paying poorly paid scientists and just generating papers. Um, in the end, When you die, those people with lots of money, they cannot bring them to the grave. But those scientists, when they pass away, people will say, hey, these are the scientists who discovered, you know, crypto uh, for new technology. or discovered redomino assays. So hopefully when I'm not around, around, you'll say, oh, yes, he's the one who who taught me. (laughs)
0: It's a great talking to you, Prof. Thank you for the uh, for, for the time to, to speak to me so in-depth yeah, about Thank you for
1: giving your, me your a chance to share my, my thoughts, my achievements, and also what I went through in life.
0: I believe I will catch up with you again, you know, with all the research that you are engaged in right now. This is something that we are also reporting, like the vitamin E clinical trials and all that. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.